Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church of God. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. This morning we're talking about, uh, well, we're continuing our series in James, this really, really, really practical book of the Bible, one of the most practical books of the Bible. This one, every sentence seems to be just laced with all kinds of good nuggets that you can take from it. And so we're continuing this series today, uh, making the sacred practical. Just how do we apply this scripture stuff to our life? And we've been exploring James at a pretty slow pace. I think this is week seven of James. We finally crested into chapter two. Woo-woo! Only three more to go. Chapters, that is, not, not Sundays. Uh, we're going to cover 13 verses today, so hold on to your pants, because we are flying, all right? Uh, so um, I'm ex- excited. I have had a blast. I hope you're having a blast uh, studying James with me. This, I've read James a ton. If you look, this is my Bible from college. Um, it's been super glued and put back together about eight different times. I actually have a scar from where I had to cut the top of the super glue bottle off because you know how it dries. And I stuck the knife um, into a finger and it was like hanging there. And so I, then I stupidly, I pulled it out and then gushing happened. And I went to my roommates in college and said, hey, can you take me to the emergency room? I can't drive with a huge cut. And they were like, ah, I continue to play video games and ignore me. So I drove myself to the emergency room. Uh, with blood like dripping down my elbow, I'm like out the, out the window of my car. And um, it's just real fun to drive that way, oh, by the way. Um, and so I get there and they're like, it's going to be like an hour and a half before we can see you. And I was like, nope. Went to CVS, got the super glue stuff, just put it in there. And I was like, all right, we're good, we're good, we're good. So don't do that, kids. That's a bad, bad example. Um, I was 20, so I did all kinds of stupid stuff. So there is that. But you guys didn't know to need to know that, but I have an intimate relationship with this Bible. It is, there's my blood actually in the Word of God here over here. So um, that's what's going on. Uh, James, we're really diving into it, really kind of taking it slow, chewing on the goody that is in the book of James. And so we're starting chapter 2. If you want to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2, it's after Hebrews, right before Peter. Um, don't be... Uh, embarrassed if you have to use the table of contents for it because it is a small little guy and I swear sometimes it just moves and you're going where did it go um, but you know find it for me either on your phone or in the Bibles in front of you uh, get get that out because we want to grab a hold of all that James has for you this morning so we're in this series and we're talking about um, all kinds of things the major Meta theme of the whole book so far is found in the first seven words of the book of James. James, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ. And the most important word out of all that is actually this word bondservant. It's the word for slave or indentured servant. Uh, your Bible may say servant because they wanted to be like a PG version of what's going on. But it's, it's really this bond servant idea is someone who has come to someone else and said, my, my stuff, my past, the problems I have in my life are too much. I need you to purchase the debt that I have and buy me and I will work for you for 10 years or so. And so what James is conjuring in every single person's mind is that God has purchased our past, purchased our stuff, purchased the junk in our lives, all the drama. He has purchased it all and become our master. 
Okay. Now that is incredibly important that every time we step into James, that's how he is. He is looking at how we perceive life, how we perceive the Christian faith, how we perceive following Jesus is that he has bought with the price, the blood, as we took a communion earlier today, he has paid that price there. And so that now he is our master, our Lord, and we are his bondservant. But the beautiful part of that is in, in John 10, 10, nope, 13, 10, I'm getting confused. Anyway, uh, it says that uh, he has set us free and we are free indeed. So he has paid the price for us. He has bought our, our past, all this stuff. And then because he's such a good master, he sets us free. And so as we look at James, we need to have those kind of glasses on. Um, as we, we put on sunglasses in the summertime, just think everything goes through the prism of the bondservant idea. And if we start to do that, the way in which we read the scripture, especially in James, starts to change. And you go, oh, oh, I know I have. Just in these last seven, eight weeks going, oh, oh, wow, oh, oh, ah. I probably make really funny sound effects in my, my office. And Yvonne's going, what is going wrong with this kid? Uh, but um, I just get very excited when I discover new things about the scripture. And when you see it through that lens, the, the Bible kind of just jumps out at you in all kinds of different ways. So we're going to step into that. And James is answering the question today in chapter two about what matters most. What matters most in life? What's the important stuff? And it's a question that people have been asking forever. I mean, they're asking it 2000 years ago in first century Mediterranean Roman empire time. What is important? What matters most? And the answer to the question then is a lot of what the same answer to the question we struggle with today is they would answer that question, financial stability, social status, who you know, playing the politics game, figuring out how you can get this and get that and get the most out of everything that you can and play, play you know, who you know and what you know. And, and if I do this, then I look better and I can make this connection and, and all this stuff, you know, 21 laws of, you know, manipulation how to win friends, how to influence people. All this stuff that we read because we want to be more influencers and we want to know stuff and we want to know people and we're taught all this stuff. But James goes back to that because that's not the point. That's not what matters most. That's not what matters most. He finishes his whole argument with mercy, triumphs over judgment. What matters most is mercy. What matters most is how you love people. Not who you know, not what you can get from them, but mercy. And so that's the thought for today. And let's delve into what all that James is doing. So remember last week he said, don't merely be hearers of the word, but do what it says. And so he's building this whole argument in this end of chapter one and chapter two that he's saying, don't just listen to the word. Don't just listen to the Torah. Don't just listen to the scripture, but do what it actually says. And so he's going to tell us what it actually says today. James two, verse one, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting, underline meeting, Wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes, also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there, uh, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor of the eyes, in the eyes of the world to be rich? Sorry. 
Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are not they the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? See what's going on? So basically, to put it today, if we had two people pull into the parking lot at the same time, you got one guy shows up in a nice brand new Mercedes Benz, and you got another one comes in a Gremlin. Um, it says, <laughs> I actually know a guy, uh, J- Jimmy's old boss, he collects Gremlins and restores them. I don't know why. That feels like, I have a trash can, you can put money in it. It's yeah, fine. Uh, anyway, uh, he's got, but if you got a guy comes pulls in the parking lot with a Mercedes Benz, and another one pulls in with a Gremlin. And they walk in, and people of the church stop fawning over the guy in the Mercedes-Benz because they're thinking, ah, he's got some money. We can, I can leverage this. Maybe he's got some connections. Maybe I can get a job. Maybe I can whatever. Maybe you know, as a pastor, maybe he'll give to whatever thing I'm trying to raise money for, what, whatever. And just totally ignore the guy in the gremlin. And so this is the kind of thing that's going on in the churches that James is talking to. It's a real temptation. It's a real struggle. Our church is funded 100% by you people. So we don't have a sugar daddy somewhere uh, that sends us money uh, every month and says, you know what, it doesn't matter what the church, church does, Jared, that we, we've got you, it's okay. No, it's 100% funded, all of our ministries, my paycheck, everything is funded by here. So if I see a guy roll up in a Mercedes, and there's another guy roll up in a Gremlin, I gotta always, you, you got to check yourself. No, it's not about that. It's about how do I love people? Does mercy triumph over judgment? Now, that's my particular that's something I just always have to have a check in my, uh, my spirit on because it becomes a real temptation when you're, you know, X amount of dollars behind budget or whatever, because that's how you feed your family. Maybe if you're in sales or whatever, and you look at somebody and you go, that person I can make money off of, and that person I can't, they need more of my attention, but I'm going to go over here, right? That's a real temptation. We have these things all in our lives. We have the same temptations um, going on all the time. And people in the church in James are struggling and they're kind of failing at this favoritism thing. And his point is, aren't this the very people that you're sucking up to? Aren't they the ones that are exploiting you? Think how stupid that is. These are the guys that misuse you and hurt you and mistreat you all the time. And you are spending all of your time trying to get something from them. What you're doing is you just continue to lay your power and any influence you have at their feet. And they're abusing you in any way, shape, or form. And the longer that you do that the more they're going to abuse you, the more they're going to use you, and the more they're going to uh, exercise their influence over you. And he's saying, at church, in this meeting, in this ecclesia, in this synagogue, he doesn't even have the actual word for church yet. That's how early church this is. They don't have the word church yet. Isn't that cool? Uh, So it's the word, it's actually the word synagogue, which is the Jewish word, and he's going, "The, the gathering place. Whatever, the thing. Um, that's basically is what he's saying there in the scripture. I think that's awesome. That's how baby church this is. And how he's, he's so sensitive that baby church, you cannot show favoritism. Baby church, you can't pick one person over another. Baby church, please don't. If this is going to do what it's supposed to do, if this is going to change the world, you can't show favoritism. That's not who we can be. And it's a very important theological uh, question that he's asking. It's an incredibly deep theological point. Because as I started the sermon, right, we talked about the doulos idea, this bond-servant idea that Jesus has paid the price and set us free. He has become our master, our kurios, our Lord. He is our king. 
He is the owner of us. We are bought with a price from him. If then we are operating that he is our master, but we come to church or we do whatever we're we're doing in life, and we see someone who we think that may could help us out, and I go over here to Eric, and I'm like smooching Eric, and going, Eric, uh, so we can work on the job. I can do some stuff for you, whatever. I'm smoozing him. You know what I've actually just done? Instead of trusting God with who I am, instead of trusting God with my well-being, instead of trusting God that I am actually his servant, I've now put Eric in a place of authority and power over me where I'm saying, God, you're not good enough. You're not taking care of me enough. I'm going to turn away and try to make Eric my master. Because that at the very core of what's going on with the gospel message, the redeeming, the, the purchasing of our past, and the setting us for a new future. We are rebelling against that and saying, your redemption wasn't good enough, and your future for me wasn't good enough. I'm going to take it in my own hands and try to make something happen. That's what's going on here. That's what, this whole favoritism thing, I'll tell you, I've read James a lot of times. This, this part of my Bible was not underlined, before this week, because I was like, I, I don't know what's going on. Favoritism, why is this important, blah, blah, blah. And I started putting it in the mindset of that bondservant idea, and I went, oh, like a, and a physical light bulb just went, bing, above my head. Because I thought, oh, my goodness, what it's doing is that I'm making someone else have authority over me, be my God figure. They're going to be my, my caretaker. They're going to be the master. They're going to be the protector, the patronus of me instead of God. You see the problem with that. You see why that causes a problem. And folks, that's not just a first century problem. That's our problem as well. We see someone that we're desperate. I had a moment in my life before I came here. Today is my fifth year anniversary with y'all. Did you know that? Today is my fifth year. I just need a drink. I didn't really need to talk about that, but that's, um, kid, a kid, a kid, a kid. Um, so what we, uh, in this message, is kind of weird to give as a pastor. Uh, I am blessed. I am so honored and blessed by this church that I am not going, oh, I hope somebody listens to this message and they quit being a goof. You know, I, oh, I hope they listen to this message and they quit playing favorites and stuff in this church. I don't, all honestly, that is not what's going on here. That's just not a message to step on anybody's toes. There's pastors that I know and love and care for that would be giving this message going, please, someone change their heart. I, we don't we don't play those games, you know. As far as I know, I'm, I'm kept out of the games. If we play the games, so good for it. Okay, uh, and I just I, I love that about you. But this is this is real stuff. It's always a temptation to play favorites and to do and to deal all this stuff in your life, in your home, in your work, and even at your church. I had an experience. I was um, I needed a new job. Um, I had twins, and uh, the, the the position I was at was getting pretty dicey on whether I was going to get paid or not. Um, if you've ever been in that, that, that moment when you don't know, you got to have a paycheck and you got kids, you get a little, you need some Zantac. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're, I needed a job. And so this position came open. My uh, mentor, one of his best friends was a pastor at a church, uh, a really, really swanky part of Atlanta. Like this place, part of Atlanta is so swanky, they don't r- drive actual cars in the downtown. You have to park at your house or park in a, a certain parking lot, and you can walk or ride in golf carts around downtown of this particular city. It is, 
Uh, I do not belong there, okay, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, this is not me. Uh, but so we're, we're sitting there, and, uh, and I'm interviewing for this position. And I'm down to the bottom two. And they are going to pay me a ton of money to do this position. And I'm going, okay, okay. Um, and so I'm answering their questions and I'm talking about it and I come home and I'm like, that pastor loved me. My mentor loves me. So, and that, that connections, this is going to be fantastic. I going to change everything, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to have money. I don't even know what that means. Um, and I come back home and two weeks later I get a call. I didn't get the position and I am crushed. Like I thought this was in the bag. I was going to go and drive my own very own golf cart. You know, it's going to have pastor spinners on the golf cart. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> You give me two weeks to dream about fun stuff? Come on now. Uh, you're going to get all kinds of weird things. So, <laughs> sorry. Uh, we had, uh, I had this and I was just crushed. I remember where I was. Kelly was not at home. And I was in my bedroom and I'm just bawling. I am weeping because I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, this was our chance to get an actual paycheck. That would have been nice. And I remember uh, just praying, God, what, what, what's next? What am I going to do? What's, go- what's going on? It wasn't, I think, a week later I got a phone call from, um, I called Eric Livingston and said, hey, I heard about this church in Shorewood. How does that sound? And the rest is history. But the moment there was, um, I didn't theologically align with that other church at all. I would have had to change who I was, how I dressed, how I thought, even kept some of my theological points to myself and just said, shut up. I was going to be in charge of discipleship. You know how hard it is to keep your theological points, like women in ministry, um, silent when you're the discipleship pastor? I don't know what I was thinking I was going to do. Like, love Jesus. (laughs) Like, that's all I was going to do, right? Um, I didn't need that job. I like it would have broken me inside to not being able to be creative and talk about what I wanted to talk about and talk about the way it needed. But I was so consumed with the idea of I gotta pay for things, money. I you know I made my uh, pursuit of a better paycheck God instead of trusting that God has something in store for me. I went back on that church's website a year later, found out that the guy that they hired over me was already not there anymore. And I thought, oh, I'm so thank you, God, for protecting me. Thank you. Thank you, God, for protecting me. Sometimes even the most painful things are God's provision and protection if we'll just trust that he has our best in mind. When we make God our God, instead of trying to do it on our own. So what's the answer for favoritism? What's our response supposed to be? What's happening here? James 2, verse 8 through 13. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, if you really keep the royal law, what's the royal law? Uh, the royal law is love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Um, the Shema is love, um, love God with everything that you have, your, your heart, soul, strength. And the royal law is love your neighbor as yourself. Those two are the big two. Okay? All the commandments can actually be broken down into love God with everything and Love your neighbor as yourself. There's five on one side and five on the other. Um, God loves symmetry. <laughs> what is, so what, what, what's going on here? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. 
you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, but also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does humanity want? Humanity wants its own social status. We want to climb the ladder. We want something better for ourselves. And those are things aren't inherently bad. It's how we do it is where we get the stumbling blocks. Humanity wants financial you know, growth finan- and, and well-being so we can support ourselves and not have to concentrate and depend on God for our well-being. And God comes back with, it's not... What's important to me is that you love people. The money thing. And there's a conflict of interest going on there. There's a serious, like, just a budding of heads. Because in our world of immediacy, and I want it now, and I want, uh, and some of them are real pain points, and I want, you know, to be able to pay my bills and things like that. We're so easy to sell ourselves out and sell ourselves to a different master. And what's going on here is James going, no matter what's going on in your life, remember that you are a bondservant bought with a price from Lord Jesus Christ. He has paid the price for your past and for your stuff and paid the price for you to have eternal freedom with him. Don't lose sight of that. That's who he is. That's what's given to you. Don't lose sight of that in our, in our momentary trials here on earth. And some of you are like, that moment has been going on for 20 years. I know. But eternity is a lot longer than a moment. I, what James is talking about here in this, I don't want to lose it in the, the adultery and the murder talk. That, that gets kind of confusing. Like, what is he talking about? He's saying this. If you lie, or if you're a liar, but you don't commit adultery and you don't kill anybody and you don't commit homicide, guess what? You're still a lawbreaker. You still have sinned against God. You still have broken the law. And us, in our human experience, we put different strata on sin, right? We're like, well, I lied, but I didn't kill anybody, so we're still pretty good, right? right, right? Like, and that makes sense in our mind, but in God's mind, he goes, no, no, you still broke the royal law. What's the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what's important. So if you lie, have you loved your neighbor? No. If you're not a liar, but you sleep with your your friend's wife, guess what? You're an adulterer and you've hurt your neighbor. So have you loved your neighbor? Nah. But you don't sleep with anybody and you don't lie, but you kill a couple people. Well, at least I don't lie. If you still are a Lawbreaker. Now, see, even in our own minds, we're like, yeah, you killed somebody. That's the same as lying in God's eyes. Why? Because it breaks the royal law. Are you loving your neighbor? See, that's hard for us to get our brains around because we're like, no, 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 no. I'm not Hitler. Yeah, you lie all the time. 
You gossip all the time. You are breaking the royal law. God's hope for you is that he would love him with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Those sound really simple. But if I start breaking it down into these little things, you're like, oh, man, I'm terrible. That's why the next sentence is there. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what's going on is, are we judging people? Oh, man, I, I saw Paul. Yeah, he killed the guy. <laughs> no, I, saw, I saw Paul doing something. I saw Andy doing something. And I saw, saw Eric doing something. I saw, oh, I saw Chris doing something. It's real easy to start gospel. Did you, did you know what Chris just did? Oh, oh my goodness. Ash is like, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> you get you get into these moments and you start talking and you're like, oh my, oh, 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 oh. And you, you've got all of these, these stratifications of, oh, what do they do? What do they do? What do they do? And God's going, you know what? It does not matter. Because in favoritism, in a mindset of favoritism, in a mindset of trying to win influence and trying to play the game and trying to influence people and play the politics. If you watch House of Cards or you know, any of these other uh, shows, they're always trying to get one up on somebody. Right? In a moment of judgment, oh, I got Paul now. I can leverage this and get more influence this. And, oh, I could use that against Eric on this. And I got a picture of Larry doing this. And and I got all this stuff. And so now I'm leveraging. Now I'm playing the game. Now I'm doing all this weird stuff that's all about favoritism. It's all about the politics. And I'm living a life of judgment. And I'm concentrating on how can I get ahead. And it doesn't matter how I hurt everyone around me for that. But James says, what? Mercy triumphs over judgment. That if you love your neighbor through that stuff, that covers all the junk. You're, you're loving your neighbor through that. That, that cuts through all the, these other things. That's the way in which we cut through the favoritism is by caring for them, showing mercy to them. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You start making mercy triumphs over judgment, like a a thought process in your mind throughout the day, it will mess up everything that you think. It's really, really hard to have all these uh, preconceived notions about people and stuff when your mantra is becoming mercy triumphs over judgment. This week, just one week into mercy triumphs over judgment, trying to repeat that in my head a lot. Oh, man, I'm like, I can't be as big as a jerk as I want to be anymore, Dean. That's not fair. Uh, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Humanity wants to say what matters most is social standing. Humanity wants to say what matters most is social standing. But it can't be. Because if we truly are the bondservant of Christ, then it doesn't matter where our social standing is. We are at the lowest rung of the ladder. We are the bondservant of Jesus. It doesn't matter where else we go. Now, you can be a follower of Christ and become powerful and become influential and become uh, important in the world's eyes. That is totally fine. But this striving and the straining of manipulating ways to get social standing, that's not the way of it because we want to get that way just because mercy triumphs over judgment, not because we were the best players of the game. Humanity wants to say what matters most is financial status. Being rich is fine. Congratulations. But if we step on everyone to get there, we have not practiced the mercy triumphs over judgment. We haven't practiced the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
I don't know very many rich people. That's okay. I know a couple of rich guys who, are, who practice loving your neighbor as yourself as an example that I hope if I ever got rich, I don't know how that would even happen, find a lottery ticket that I don't play, you know, on the ground and win. I, I don't know, I know how that would happen, but if that ever happened, I would want to be like them because they are so generous in loving people. That happens. But I know like two guys out of, you know, the, the world of like, here's incredibly generous, generous people. Because it's so easy when you start getting tied down to chasing money in everything that we have. It's so easy to start playing the game, hurting people, because you have to stay ahead. No. God says, no, 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 I don't, I don't care how much money's in your bank account because, honestly, I'm God and money doesn't impress me because I could make that. I don't, I don't, I don't care. It doesn't impress me. It doesn't, it's, it's, it's not... Your bank account doesn't get you into heaven, so who, who cares? What impresses him is how have you loved your neighbor? How have you lived that life? What matters most, God says what matters most is loving your neighbor. Jesus says, you think you've got it figured out? You think you're going out? Whatever. Loving your neighbor is what's most important. In the Roman system, politics were everything. People would become emperors because of the way of who they knew and how they could leverage stuff and how they could find people with money. Like the whole system is built on politics and, and glad handing and who, who you know. You know, nothing like our present political system in Illinois. Um, and <laughs> you know, not, nothing like here. We don't know anything about this. Everything's about that. And God's going, and James is saying here, guys, 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 all that stuff is just rubbish. It doesn't matter. It's all about how do we love our neighbor as ourselves. They are wound up downstairs. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, loving your neighbor matters the most. And the second thing is mercy is what matters most. Mercy is what matters most. When you come into a, a, a situation, what's the process that comes into your head? I can use this for my gain, to put down somebody else, to beat them at this, to, to get a better job, to leverage that against them here, this. Or does mercy triumph over judgment? Now, is it a fair playing field? Absolutely not, because other people will use stuff against you all the time, and that's their issue that's their sin issue. That's not your sin issue. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So I have a couple questions as we close today. Do you struggle with showing favorites at work or at home? Is that an issue for you? Do you fall into this? Oh, I'm not, some people we're closer to, some people get along better, but is there blatant favoritism? I get to participate in my first uh, all-star ballot of seven and eight-year-olds this week. How many of you know there's going to be there's 11 teams, there's going to be 11 coaches' sons voted on, right? Like, that's how that works. Like, the politics of it is going to be atrocious, and uh, I am not looking forward to Wednesday night. Pray for me, 6 o'clock Wednesday night. I'm serious. Uh, I just, uh, hmm, uh, thank you, Jesus. All right? But the, the moment, like, favoritism just 
how do we, how do we, do we do that? Do we need to be caught on that? Is there a check in our spirit of, I've been playing favorites. I've been kind of skewing the field for somebody. I've been messing with this a lot. Or is mercy the theme of our life? Second, how as a family can we trust God with everything? Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's a financial situation that you don't know where it's going to come from. How do we trust God in this situation? Do we need to slow down? Am I trying to make something happen that's, that's not of God? Like, like me. I, are you trying to make something happen? Are you chasing after a job? That, that's, just, that's not where God wants you. He doesn't want <laughs> you not going to be who you are with him. Um, how does that need to change? How is a family? How is a family? Can we trust God with everything? And this week, how do we practice mercy triumphs over judgment? That might be the, the key that you need to practice with your neighbor. That might be something that you need to practice with a family member. Maybe that's something you need to practice with a coworker. I don't know what that is for you, but this week, how do we practice mercy triumphs over judgment? Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for our laughter, but thank you for um, burdening my spirit. And breaking me. Thank you for showing me this verse that I've read so many times, but have never understood, never have even tried to attach to anything, that your mercy triumphs over judgment. And in turn, our mercy has to triumph over our own judgment. God, I ask you to, to bless us. I ask you to, this, this afternoon, as we kind of slow down, we do whatever we're supposed to do, we go to baseball games, or we eat lunch, or we get cookout, whatever is going on. Lord, that you would remind us that mercy triumphs over judgment. We see somebody acting a fool and we want to start to get cranky. Lord, that you would remind us that mercy triumphs over judgment. God, that you would show us how to be better bond servants of you. That you would radically and transform our lives that way. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for redeeming us. And thank you for giving us a hope and a future and eternity with you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you all the days of your life. You are dismissed. Go with God. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.